This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Insiders Podcast. We've shuffled the lineup a little bit today. We're going to try something new here. Uh, as Kansas State is coming off a really disappointing 68-61 loss to Texas A&M, a game in which they were mostly competitive until the final stretch with some turnovers really got to the Cats. They shot 35 three-pointers. And, of course, Nigel Pack was really, really good in the game. K-State is now 5-13 and overall. And coming out of the Baylor game last Wednesday, and we'll talk about that briefly, we don't want to recount too much about a loss that was 107 to 59. K-State's now 1 and 8 in the Big 12 as they head to Kansas on Tuesday for the first edition this season of the Sunflower Showdown. And uh, they'll get KU back here in Manhattan in short time as they are getting into a really, really tough stretch of basketball. We're joined today by Matt Walters and Jay Heidrich, our usual pair, and also joining us is former Missouri basketball player. He was at Missouri from 2008 to 12. He's now a Kansas City-based scout for the New Orleans Pelicans of the NBA. Jarrett Sutton is on the podcast with us today. And as always, we are sponsored by Blue Mark Energy. Does your company or your employer spend $4,000 or more a year on energy bills? Would you like to reduce those costs by 25% or more and maintain the same level of service and reliability? If so, it's time to speak with Blue Mark Energy. Blue Mark Energy, K-State owned and K-State proud. Matt, let's start with you. Kansas State loses to Texas A&M 68-61. The score doesn't really reflect the game. I mean, it was a close game for most of it, and it just got away from K-State at the end, a dreadful ending for the Wildcats. It was almost like, Matt, they haven't been in a close game for a long time. Your thoughts overall on, on how K-State played, and of course, Nigel Pack was just fabulous in this game. Well, you, first you feel for Dejuan Gordon going out, um, but I'm just going to go with what you said, and that's the value of Nigel Pack to this basketball team and how K-State tried to operate without him. You know, we, we, we said for weeks and weeks, uh, you know, about Nigel's importance and, you know, Davion Bradford and and those two in particular, but things were much more settled. Yeah, he hits a boatload of threes. He plays almost 38 minutes, has five assists. Um, you know, I Jay and Jared may say something else, and you may as well, Fitz. I, I know Bruce talks about it. I pay zero attention to the plus-minus chart. Uh, I pay no attention to it. It means nothing to me. It's not a stat I use on the air. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going with what I saw with my eyes and, and her with my ears, and that's Nigel Pack. And, you know, unfortunately, he missed some time. I don't know that, you know, you hope a player doesn't regress. But, um, you know, I, I, I like that kid. He's calm. He's cool. He's collected. You don't see uh, unnecessary emotion from him. 
he's going to be K-State's floor leader, and he's also going to be a guy that uh, is going to score. I'm not going to call him Jacob Pullen. I'm not going that route, <laughs> but um, he, he's going to be a guy down the road that puts the ball in the hole for K-State. We talked you know, earlier. He's a guy that wants to take those shots when it matters. A really, really impressive line for Nigel Pack, the freshman point guard. 37 minutes, 36 seconds, pretty uh, incredible coming off of COVID, just game number two for him. So he's kept himself in pretty good shape, so that's a good sign. Nine of 16 from the field, more remarkably, eight of 14 from three-point range. Three rebounds, three steals, five assists, and if you want to have a negative in there, he had three turnovers, but that just kind of went with the day for K-State is um, crucial turnovers. They actually only had 11 in this game, Jay Heidrich. And and yet, some of those were late and really crucial possessions for the Wildcats. Just uh, finding another way to lose, unfortunately, for the Wildcats. Yeah, that just comes with being young. You know, trying to build a uh, a winning culture, you got to figure out a way to get through some of those difficult times. And as good as Nigel was, he just he didn't get a lot of help. Um, you know, a kid like. Help Miguel with his athleticism to, to have the line that he had. Um, you know, they they, they got to get more out of guys like that. You know, Selton Miguel should be able to get to the rim, should be able to get to the line, should be able to do some of the things that a player with his caliber of athleticism should be able to do. And they're just they're not getting it. Um, you know, I think it's pretty clear that Nigel Pack's going to drive this team. Uh, does drive this team, um, and and he creates um, uh, for so many. But K State, it's, it's it's like a broken record, right? I mean, Nigel was phenomenal from the three-point line. The rest of the team was two for 21 If you take from the three-point line if you take Nigel out of that. And on a two for 21 stat line for this team, I'm not sure that the number on the right side of the dash is, isn't worse than the one on the left. Um, the fact that they took 21 threes as opposed to only made two. So they've got to they, they've, they've just – get away from that. It's been the story all year. Until they do, they're going to find themselves struggling like they have. Jared, let's bring you into the discussion. We we were talking before we started recording, and you get to drive to games that are close. You haven't gone to K-State because, bluntly, there's nobody for, for a scout to look at right now. I mean, that's obvious to any fan. However, you you know this program, and you're watching from uh, kind of an arm's length now. What are your impressions of a, a K-State program that has had some really good points in history, and this certainly is not one of them? Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to start the conversation is this is a tough year for K-State. Um, you know, I, the fact that they're on this, you know, this losing streak in Big 12 play and they're trying to find an identity, they don't necessarily have an alpha dog, obviously. And you think back at some great players in K-State history, you know, I know, um, you know, Barry Brown being one that jumps out most recently, a guy that could really take over games, had an ability to score, play both ends of the floor. You know, hopefully Nigel Pack can be that long term. They got a lot of young guys that are developing and being asked a lot of. And it's good to see Nigel break through. And, and again, there's a whole other month to this season. So you'd like to see K-State be competitive, right? You'd like to see them just be in games like they were on, on Saturday. That's a good sign. And, and close the year strong. The biggest thing, I think, when you look at the, the team moving forward is, is player development, identifying your personnel, you know, what guys really are going to be a part of this program long-term. Um, you know, they're not getting a lot from their, their sophomores that I thought would maybe take a step forward. They haven't had a big jump. Uh, so I think that's part of it too. And, 
I mean, you look at the success of Coach Weber at K-State. I mean, it's it's really based off of having experience, having guys in positions as, as juniors and seniors to carry and lead the team. Um, and, and I think you look at where this team sits ranking, you know, offensive and defensive rating. You know, we just talked about plus minus. I agree. I look at plus minus. It doesn't tell the whole story at all. I kind of glance at it. It's not something I take solely you know, as number one priority, but defensive efficiency, defensive rating, offensive as well. I do. And when Kansas state's at the bottom of both of those in the big 12, that's tough to overcome because typically when you look at K state, the way I view K state with Bruce Weber is they might struggle on offense. It might look painful offensively, but defensively they're going to get stops and they're going to be in games because they'll defend, they'll guard, they'll rebound. I think this team's done a good job hitting the defensive glass. That's probably in one area they've been good in is rebounding the ball on the defensive end, but you know, finding that level of consistency night in and night out on both ends of the floor just hasn't been there. And that's something that I think, you know, it's probably frustrating for this coaching staff is they're just not getting it on either end of the floor. They've had turnover problems. It was good to see them take care of the ball the other day, but there's just a lot of growing pains and it's a sign of a young basketball team. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago. This team was in the NCAA tournament, you know, making a run at, a, at an elite eight. I mean, they, they've had a lot of success. And so that, that is in the back of my mind is that this is just a really tough year. A lot of growing pains, a lot of young players trying to figure themselves out on the floor. And that's, that's some of that is personal. It's not all on Bruce. Some of that is personal as well. Um, you know, it's, it's big time college basketball. And if, if, when you struggle and teams know your tendencies and they know what your, what your skills are and you don't have a lot of skill development there, you're going to struggle. And it seems like that's been a big problem. Jared brought up those sophomores, Matt. <clears throat> and uh, of course, Montavious Murphy's lost for the season with another knee injury. Uh, Dejuan Gordon played four minutes in this contest before turning an ankle or something. It is not broken. Bruce Weber clarified on Monday, but uh, it is a severe ankle injury that will keep him out for a period of time, but it sounds like they'll get him back. Antonio Gordon re just continues to mystify me, Matt. I mean, he can look so bad and so good within the confines of a matter of possessions, but he did have a really crucial flurry in that first half. He ended playing 19 minutes, three or six from the field, five rebounds, eight points, and an assist. He, crucial flurry in that first half to keep K-State in the game, and I thought that was really good because Antonio um, is really inconsistent, but he does fill a gap for K-State as a taller guy at the four spot if they want to be a little bit bigger. He didn't like to play the four. <laughs> He's one of those guys that wants to live out behind the half moon. And I'm not running away or going away from your question, Fitz, but you use the word there and Bruce used it in post game. And that is inconsistency. Yeah. He, he had some good minutes against Texas A&M, but you you have to learn to do it on a daily basis. And I'm not talking about just games. And it's obvious to me that he doesn't do it on a daily basis quite yet in terms of practice and, and those other things. And I'm, I'm going back to what, you know, what Jay said and, and Jared said some good things. Um, I can't think of another reference, but it's, it's just, it's groundhog day. When we, when we do this show on Mondays, it's like groundhog day because Kansas state, is taking way too many threes and Jay hit it spot on. There's no way that Kansas state on a game in game out basis should be taking more than 20. They took 35 against A&M and you have to, 
you, you have to know who you are. You have to be comfortable in your skin. You have to be able to be coached. You have to listen. And there are times where I just think guys are doing too much on their own. And K-State hasn't been a great offensive team for a couple years now. And not even when, when, Dane, when Dean and Barry and Kamau were running the ship was K-State great offensively, but they did enough and executed and did things that they were supposed to do. And it's just, it's to me right now, it's kind of, it's a potpourri. You never know what you're going to see or smell with this team. And they're, we know they're young. We know they're inexperienced and it's going to continue, but they have to be coachable. And for me, I, I said at the beginning of the year, wins and losses to me this year don't matter. And yeah, I may be crazy, but wins and losses don't matter. And now that you're at this point, the last month, K-State's got to get better. There have to be signs of improvement. Be competitive, as was stated. Don't get beat by 35. Don't get beat by 45. Don't get beat by 25, for that matter. And just just look like a basketball team that cares. You know, I think this team cares, but they've got to compete like crazy now in the final month because I personally, Bruce Weber's going to be back next year. I don't think there's any doubt that Bruce Weber is going to be back next year. Next year is going to be a lot different in terms of, you know, you can talk about the hot seat. You can talk about all that other stuff. And it's, it's going to be really amped up come next year, uh, assuming he's back as, as head coach, because this team has got to show signs of progress and it needs to start right now. Jay, Matt, let us right into it. Um, the talk of Bruce Weber being back or not being back. I think uh, if you, judge on social media it's he won't be back he can't be back that can't just happen and and yet it sure does sound like athletics director gene taylor wants him back and i i know that fans have been really frustrated and this is such a weird year i mean it just is there's there's no way around that when you got a new team and have to you know have so few gatherings where your whole team is available for practice or enough guys are available for practice and try to teach defense and those things but it was that 48-point loss at Baylor that broke a lot of fans as well. You're going to lose at Baylor with this team. There's there's no way around that. You're, you're not good enough to compete with Baylor home, road, uh, anywhere right now. And uh, Baylor just doesn't let hardly anyone compete with them. But to lose by 48 points, to break a record that was set for largest uh, margin of defeat in school history that was – still around from 1934 for god's sakes to, to exceed that record is just astonishing and was just the, a bridge too far for fans in terms of all the losses and now the beatings are so severe without covid <clears throat> maybe k-state loses that game by 30 but that's still a huge margin of defeat yeah Baylor's one of the best college basketball teams I've seen in my lifetime this year. Yeah. I mean, they are phenomenal top to bottom. They're athletic. They have great guards. They, they, they can do it all, you know, and, and, and Bruce made the comment after the A&M game that Tom Izzo called him and said that, you know, not even God himself could have beaten Baylor the other night and maybe not, but I think God could have kept it within 20, um, you know, and wouldn't have lost by 48. So uh, I, you know, it's, it, it's something and those types of comments, I know what Bruce is getting at, but those those don't help him at this point where you just got done with A&M and we're still talking about Baylor. We're still trying to justify what happened to Baylor. And I think that a lot from a lot of K-State 
fans perspective it's it's just deflection it's you know trying to instead of addressing the issue that we have at hand it's always talking about why we can't do something instead of just going out and doing it and uh to matt's point i think that's the frustration that a lot of fans have right now is that it is a broken record it's the same thing week after week and it is a young team when you have a young team you know you're going to struggle uh, but for me personally, what what I struggle with is that we're still seeing the same mistakes in February now that we saw in November. You know, the same things that led to Fort Hayes State beating us in the non-con are the same things that are leading to Baylor beating us by 48. Um, and that's, you know, lack of execution on offense. That's not getting back on defense. That's just not playing hard consistently. And against Fort Hay State, that results in a 13-point loss. Against Baylor, that results in a 48-point loss. And um, those things just uh, they they, tra- they transition just in different magnitudes against the team you're playing, but they still transition um, uh, from, from week to week. And so that's the biggest frustrating thing for me is that the one thing that these freshmen are getting plenty of is playing time. And, and yes, it's hard to watch freshmen grow on national TV, but in front of your eyes, you know, they're, they're not getting beat up in practice and learning in practice. We're seeing that growth process in front of our eyes every week, and it's frustrating. But as hard as the process has been, we should still see the growth. I don't think that we're seeing the growth that uh, at least I would personally anticipate across the board. There's been some really bright spots. Don't get me wrong. There, there, there are some positives here, but for the most part, it's we're seeing a lot of the problems that we that, that we saw in November. Hey, Fitzy, quick question, yeah. if I may. Forget Fort Hayes for just a second. Jay was pretty young. Jared's pretty young. But I want to pose this question. Again, leave Fort Hayes to the side. Worse loss what happened at UMKC years ago or the Baylor loss? I think oh. the UMKC. It ain't even close. Yeah. That UMKC loss was maybe the worst in history. To me, you can't even compare the two. But so I was, I was just curious when Jay was, when Jay was answering, it just made me think that night. Cause I remember when we were at the bowl game, that's night, the night before K-State's playing Ohio state, and you want to talk about just sucking the air out of one of the biggest cities in the country and a fan base, that loss was infinitely worse than K-State getting housed at Baylor last week. When the bus broke down, they couldn't even get Uber to get the guys to the stadium or the arena. Uh, the, the difference for me between the UMKC and Baylor game uh, was the fact that we were at a bowl game and I was able to have a drink with you after finding the score out. Well, we needed we needed a dump truck full of it that night. <laughs> Jared, we've got you on here to be the outside voice of. Uh, I'm not going to put reason on your shoulders, but uh, of yeah. evaluation here. Bruce Weber, his time at Kansas State has been such an enigma. This is season number nine. He's got two Big Twelve championships and a third season when he went to the Elite Eight. The other six seasons, far less productive, including these last two, which will be the uh, back-to-back the worst two seasons in K-State basketball history, last season being the most losses in the season. But those championships do stick out because for all the fans want to say about 
Bob Huggins, Frank Martin, their tag team time, they didn't do that. They didn't win a title. In fact, you got to go back to Jack Hartman to find the last title, and that's a long time ago. So as an outsider, how do you evaluate the state of Kansas State basketball in 2021? I would evaluate it as, first of all, I'm going to take uh, Matt's comment about potpourri. I'm going to save that one uh, and use that <laughs> down the road, too. So that was good. Um, when I evaluate this team, let's take Baylor, for example. You know, we, we I know K-State fans want to talk about that. We're talking about it right now. That Baylor team has developed. They had Jared Butler coming back. I didn't know if Jared Butler was going to even go back to Baylor. There was a, He was one of the last players to make a decision on if he was going to declare for the draft or go back to Baylor. Davion Mitchell has improved significantly as a point guard, passing, shooting the ball. He's always been a great defender. Masio Teague was a big-time scorer before he got to Baylor. Masio has embraced his role. He's been so much better this year because he's not trying to be someone he's not, and he's learning to play alongside Jared and Davion. And what I'm trying to get at is that took time, and it also took the coaching staff making changes. And I know you guys probably are aware of this, Jay. I think we've talked about this in the past, but – what Baylor's done and Scott Drew has done is really address how they recruit and what players they're looking at and going after. Yes, it's it's good to go after the four- and five-star guys. It's great to get talent. You have to have talent to win in college basketball. You also have to have guys that want to work and want to improve and love the game and, you know, are fearless. Let's, let's face it, guys that are tough and gritty, and that, that to me is what – Davion Mitchell and, and Jared Butler are. When I think of K-State too, I think of like the Xavier Sneed, Dean Wade, Barry Brown team. You know, those three guys really embraced their roles really well. I know Dean went through injury issues, but those guys shot the ball from three. They were really unselfish. They were team guys. They were K-State guys. They were great culture guys. They played hard. They played through, they played through injuries. They were tough and gritty defensively. They found ways to win in multiple ways. When I look at this K-State team right now, they got two guys that shoot over 30% from three. One of those guys will be returning next year in Nigel. They have to develop their, their roster that they have now, and there has to be growth there. And that has to come from players wanting to work, wanting to improve their skill development, take steps forward. Or it's got to be the coaching staff also looking at this and saying, look, we've had two down years. Guys that we're really dependent on aren't living up to the standard that we are, are really wanting here at K-State. How do we change this? Do we go hit the, the transfer portal? Do we start looking for guys that can come in and maybe be a 35 to 38% three-point shooter that can be a 3 and D type of weapon that can come right in and play off a waiver? Like there's different ways to build your personnel now nowadays that I think might be something to look into as, as well. So I think it's the coaching staff identifying where the program is at, what guys are in that locker room, what guys want to be there in Manhattan, what guys want to put in the time, want to work. And I think that Baylor loss – Look, those guards got to see what Baylor, what it's like to play Baylor, what it's like to see a team that is an elite college basketball team that's really good off the dribble, that can create, that pass it well, that shoot it well. They're a great team, and everybody fulfills a role, and they all play relentlessly hard. They're tough. They're, they're never satisfied. And to me, that's got to be these young players' mentality is just – I would show that game on film down the road. Just pull that game back up and say, look, this is where we were. Is this the team you want to be? Is this the team you want to be show? Because everybody's seeing that. The film doesn't lie. So it's a long-winded answer to say, I think it's the coaching staff and players all looking themselves in the mirror and making decisions on, look, do we believe in these guys? Do these guys want to be here at work? And can we build around these guys the right way? Because obviously they got to make some significant jump next year. And, they, and, and, and like we've said, 
they got to play better in February. I mean, they got to play competitive. They got to find ways to show some growth so they can build on that. And there's, I want to follow up on that one thing real quick, Fitz, because that's a great point. I think Jared's comments are especially magnified. We talked about this a lot on this podcast that we don't, they don't have any seniors. There's no upperclassmen for these guys to rely on, to teach them that, you know, it's, middle of February and you can't feel your legs when you're walking upstairs. You know, th this is, I mean, Jared remembers those time period. This is the, this is the hardest time period there is in college basketball coming right off Christmas. I mean, it sucks, uh, especially if you're not winning. And I, I think the fact that you have a lack of upperclassmen here puts it even more so on the staff to teach these kids and to force them. You, I, I'm a firm believer that a staff develops a player by forcing them to do what they need to do, not necessarily what they want to do. And, and what I see right now with K-State is that there's a lot of kids who want to shoot threes, who want to sit out and live behind that arc and take bad shots and do that. And somewhere it has to be ingrained in them that you can't do this anymore. And whatever those consequences are, however that comes, but, but that's up to the staff because of that lack of senior leadership that's just not there, literally not there. Um, this staff has to focus on forcing these kids to do what they need to do, not necessarily letting them do what they want to do. And Fitzy, I want to chase that as well. And this is somewhat generic, so forgive me. And I, I'm, I'm glad you've got Jared on here because I like seeing and getting that outside perspective a little bit because it's what we talk about. We may talk about it in a little different form, but here's where I'm going to what Jay just said. And yeah, I'm the old crabby dude that says, get off my yard, but I'll go back to when Jordan Henriquez was on the squad. Jordan Henriquez is seven foot tall. Love the kid. Love him today. But I remember I would, my mind would explode when I would show up either to do a game or not do a game. And I would watch J.O. shooting three pointers. It just irritates the daylights out of me. And here's why. And this is where the old grumpy guy comes in is because in the last two to three weeks, I've seen the same thing with a different player who stands six feet seven that has absolutely no business shooting a three pointer in my mind. I'm not going to say whether it's a male player or a female player, but what Jay just said about what you want to do is different than what you need to do. I go back to J.O., and I look at other post players, and if you're 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", you should never get outside of 15 feet. You should be able to hit 100% of your layups. You should do the mic and drill for 30 minutes every day. You should work on a hook shot. You should work on elbow jumpers. You should be able to shoot 60% from inside of 15 feet. And right now we've got kids that, that that's where traveling basketball just I'm so aggravated with traveling basketball because we don't get what Jay just said. It's not what you need to do. It's what you want to do. And I say the heck with that. And that's where going back to Bruce and his staff, and it's excellent analysis about looking in the mirror is Sultan Miguel. There is a time and a place to shoot a three. You have to remember that. And for all of these guys, whether we're talking about leadership, there's not many upperclassmen at all. Easy egg who's been in the game, but he's new. And Mike McGurl has the whole world on his shoulder. And I feel for that kid because you can't lead a program with one guy, especially when you're losing. But Davion Bradford should never get outside of 10 feet. 
in my mind. There are guys that should shoot threes and guys that shouldn't shoot threes. You get to the basket, you rebound. And the other thing that Jared said and Jay said about Baylor is you tell me in the Big 12 a team that has defended like that in the last decade. Nobody. That is the best defensive team the Big 12 has seen in at least a decade. They are in your face from the time you walk off the bus till it's triple zeros on the clock. And Matt, just to add to that point, you know, I think when when I when you're asking about like evaluating or the programs that to that point, I want to know how much these players go home and think I hate losing, right? I mean, how much does it bother you? Yes. Like we will the most. I, we we went on a four game losing streak when I was in college, my junior year. It felt like a 15 game losing streak. I mean, it was four games where it was like the worst feeling possible. You'd lose. You'd want to. You'd want to fly home and practice right then. Like that. It was just this horrible taste you had in your mouth, especially when you didn't play well and you knew you better. You were better than what you showed. And we had a array of guys in our locker room that hated to lose. Like losing bothered them. There's teams I know losing. It doesn't matter. You know, if we, if I have 15 and 10 and we lose, Hey, that's fine. I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother. Me. It's a winning mentality. And the one thing that the staff has to always keep in mind is like you said, wins and losses right now, I'm con- not concerned about with K-State. They're a developing, growing team. What I do worry about is guys accepting losing and just thinking that losing is going to be the standard. If, if I shoot well and have a good game. Like Nigel Pack should be mad they lost. He should already be developed. I know it's tough for a freshman, but that's got to be your mentality because that you can build, that you can take with you. Other guys that that are just okay getting by and and losing doesn't matter to them. That to me is a problem. Those Baylor guys, losing is is no no you know thought in their mind. And Jared Butler going back to Baylor, the reason why he went back to Baylor wanted to win a national championship. That that was the only reason he did it. There was some some things about like his stock and everything. No, he wanted to come back to Baylor to win, and he wanted to win a national championship. I think that's that's something to be said when you're that ingrained in your program. And I think this is another point is, you know, Barry Brown, Dean Wade, and, and some of these guys that had success at K-State, you know, Bruce calling those guys up, having them come in in the offseason and talk to the players and understand, like, what it means to wear Kansas State across your chest. Those are things I think that are sustainable things you can have in your culture since you've had success. You can play off those maybe with your young guys. This is a tough word in our society today, whether you're talking about sports or just life in general. And Jared said it without saying it. And that is accountability. Who's the guy on the roster that's holding everybody. And I'm not talking about a coach. I'm talking about one of the dudes who is the guy in the locker room, whether it's in practice, whether it has to do with going to class or whether it's in the ball games, Who's the one dude that holds everybody else accountable? Barry Brown used to do that. Remember, Barry Brown called a couple of practices by himself back in the day. Other guys have done that. Who's that guy on this roster? And to me, that's who Bruce and Chris and Jermaine and Shane, and Shane's brought some things to the table being one of the young guys, but that's the guy K-State's got to go find, in my estimation, whether it's transfer portal or whether it's another freshman, the Landers kid from Wisconsin, I think is going to be really good. He's got to get bigger, but K-State doesn't have that. Among other things, they don't have the dude that demands it 24-7 and hating to lose is the other thing. Jared hit that right on the nail. Who gets pissed off and says enough is enough? Who throws a chair in the locker room? Who? 
but who's going to live it, breathe it, eat it every single day on this roster? Let's take a little pause here on the Powercat Insiders podcast. We have a lot more to discuss as Jarrett Sutton joins Matt Walters, Jay Heydrich, and myself, Tim Fitzgerald. And we're sponsored by Blue Mark Energy. The Powercat podcast will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We now send it back to the PowerCat podcast. Welcome back to this edition of the PowerCat Insiders podcast, a lively discussion ongoing between myself, Matt Walters, Jay Heydrich, and Jared Sutton, a former Missouri player and a scout for the New Orleans Pelicans, as he's based out of Kansas City and an observer of K-State basketball from afar. But we thought it would be good to have an outside voice to join us to kind of assess where K-State's at right now. We're sponsored by Blue Mark Energy. It's a natural gas products and services provider serving feed yards, hospitals, hotels, manufacturers, and school districts throughout the Midwest. And Blue Mark Energy is a natural gas provider for the Kansas State campuses in Manhattan and Salina. Blue Mark Energy, K-State owned and K-State proud. Right now with the environment of college athletics, I'm not just going to say college basketball, we're seeing with football too. When the times get tough, when that happened, when Barry Brown was a freshman, and and it has to be said that those freshmen, the Brown-Stokes-Wade trio, they still had a culture in that locker room that was somewhat positive. It had to be reinvented. But guys had been in a good culture of a locker room before the whole Marcus Foster thing. And so there was some leadership there that, that they could learn from, feed off of. Poor Mike McGirl doesn't stand a chance. It's just it, This is overwhelming, and I feel for the kid as the only substantial returning player. I mean, the only guy who really had played more than one season. But right now in the college athletics culture, when times are tough and you need to dig in and work on your three-pointer, maybe develop your left hand, maybe learn how to score a little bit more around the basket and do some fundamental work and get better, or I could hit the transfer portal. And stop losing that way. And that's that's really what troubles me. And I think is at the end of the day going to be a significant test for this basketball program. How many guys get pissed off and get in the gym and wear purple next year as better basketball players? And how many of these guys say, uh, I, I can't go through this again. I'm going to go hit the transfer portal and try to find something better. They probably won't. I mean, we know how the portal works. You've got to be pretty special to end up at a Baylor. But that looms large for this program, Jay. 
that the number of guys you want to invest in these young guys, but if they don't invest back and they hit the door running, maybe that's good. But also, again, you get to be young again. It's always a young team at K-State, seemingly, with the exception of a couple times. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a, a, a huge risk, particularly when, you know, you're losing this way. Not necessarily losing, but losing in this particular way. I mean, they're just not on a, on, on a, on a losing streak. I mean, during the streak, there's been – Saturday was the only game that they've really been competitive in. Um, and so when you're losing by an average of 15-plus points a game, you know, it's hard. And, and I feel bad for these kids because they have been put in a situation with little chance of success. They are kids fighting against men um, in, in, in the ring, and they've been thrown in with, with no help, and, and they're fine players. I mean, this was my fear coming into the season. They are a talented group. There's a lot of potential with a lot of kids there, but – they're not, none of these kids are going to the draft uh, this year, you know, and those are the types of kids that, you know, Kentucky and Duke and those types of schools can win with, with those types of freshmen. These are talented freshmen, but they're not those types of kids. They need development. They need um, some mentorship. They need to learn how to play hard, how to, how to do things the right way. And so coming in and, and saying, you know, we're just going to rely on, you know, four freshmen and two sophomores, it's there, there was no chance for it. And, and I feel bad that those expectations have been put on those kids. And so it, it is a huge risk because I'll be interested to see what happens at the end of the year where, you know, cause I'm sure those kids are going to be looking at it too and saying, you know, I got the same thing that fans are saying, how much, how much better are we going to be next year? I'm sure they're asking themselves the same question, you know, and you know, some, some, some mid major who's, competing for a conference title may seem like a heck of a lot better place than going in and getting your teeth kicked in every, uh, every, every other night at, at K state. So that, that, that's a huge risk, but that goes down to culture and that's where you have to get in and get kids into buy-in. If you're going to go this youth route and building route, you have to get kids to buy into something bigger than themselves. And that is a, that, that's the foundation of any, of any program. Of getting uh, not only just a program of any business of any relationship of any you know marriage friendship whatever understanding that whatever you're doing is bigger than you and that's a hard thing to for kids to recognize in today's day and age of uh of basketball and athletics jared as an nba guy um i see the college game kind of morphing into how you manage your roster a little bit similar to the NBA. And Bruce Weber's talked about this, how good of a job Scott Drew's done with being a general manager, going out and getting into the portal. The portal gives as much as it takes away. You can go find things in the portal and and improve your team. And Scott Drew, and he's not the only program in the Big 12 that's done this, has looked to the portal to bring in some experience, to bring in some guys that maybe can play at a higher level than they were playing and improved his team and his roster and his culture, his locker room, everything about his program. It isn't just that he's developed great freshmen. I mean, th- those are really good freshmen that became sophomores, juniors, and now Mark Vidal's a, a senior and the kind of guy you want on your team all, no matter what level. Doesn't matter about the numbers. He's just going to get things done for you. How important is the portal right now in college basketball 
and coaches becoming their own general managers to build a roster by supplementing a guy here and a guy there. Because I feel like K-State could have gone a long ways with two senior portal guys on this roster that would have brought something playing time, experience, leadership to this roster. Yeah, I think the transfer portal can be a slippery slope. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, yes, you know, the, the transfer numbers up high and sometimes players are running from their own problems. Every situation is different with certain kids, you know, transferring. It does make sense, whether it be wanting to get closer to home, you know, they have family, every, every kid situation is different. There's reasons to transfer. There's also reasons where why players transfer and it's just the easy way out out of their own problems. They're just running from coaching. They're running from improvement. They think they're, you know, some player that they're just not, um, they have no self-awareness. And I think that's where the word accountability does come in. Um, you want to have guys in, in your locker room that, that know who they are, that are okay being coached and being told what they're not, uh, knowing what they need to improve. Also known as constructive criticism, right? Like being able to take that and build on that. Um, I think the comment about like coaches becoming general managers is a really interesting topic because when I see college coaching staffs now, you know, I, when I played, it was, you know, you had your head coach, you had your assistants, you had your ops guy and you had a video guy. I, I think more and more what you're starting to see now is that scouting route, the director of scouting, someone that's looking at talent or, and that's their job. That's their focus is to identify the right pieces. You know, we just touched on four star five-star guys there's certain programs that that's maybe there's guys that you don't want to be going after from a culture standpoint and this is even a bigger conversation for some blue bloods that have struggled this year with this conversation i think it's just a one-year thing but you know you got to really identify what you're looking for what do you need in your program what makes you better you know do you need shooting do you need rebounding do you need a defensive stop do you need someone that can create off the bounce and that is an unselfish pass first point guard? Like truly identifying what you need, not just seeking talent, but really identifying and honing in on the right pieces. That's to me is the thing. And I think coaches have so much on their plate as a head, as a head coach in college. You're dealing with a lot of different things. Having people in place that can identify talent that have a good trust with you of your philosophy and your system and your scheme finding the right players. That's what, that's my job is to find the right pieces for our culture. That to me is what might be the trend you're, you're talking about. I'd like to see more trends too on the player development stamp on the side of things. And then also just offensive systems. You know, there's a lot of college systems that are a little bit behind the times and there's reasons for that. But I mean that the three point shot is like the great equalizer now, and you have to be able to shoot the ball. You have to be able to score offensively. You have to be able to adjust you have to put wrinkles into your offense. You can't just be the same offense throughout a year. Like in February, you got to be showing different things offensively. You can't just be the same offensive team from a system standpoint. I mean, you can get by with talent sometimes, but you also got to be showing different things. Like those are deeper discussions that I think coaches and staffs have to go through and identify every year. Matt, that's a real problem for K-State because it's hard to add things in February when you still haven't learned the lessons of December and January with this young team, they just haven't had enough time together, whether it was preseason or during the season when they've been short on bodies. It's hard to develop when you never developed your foundation. Yep, when you can't practice five on five. And uh, maybe this is this might have been an, uh, a more apt comment earlier on in our discussion. Uh, and then so be it. But 
going back again to what Jared said about assessment. Jared, when you played in Mizzou, were you ever the leading scorer? No. When you played at Mizzou, were you the – did you play the most minutes? No. When you came off the bench, were you the sixth man? No. Were you the tenth man? On certain days. <laughs> did you did you were you the were you the guy that handed everybody a cup of water when they came to the bench for a two minute TV timeout? I was the one off that bench first, yeah, to bring morale to the group. Yes, that was me. For how many years? Four. Hmm. You know where I'm going? Yeah. Three words. And this is a part of where K-State's going to go. And again, it goes back to Jarrett's astute comment about looking in the mirror. Know your role. And I think everybody from Nigel Pack all the way down the roster, those guys have to be told what their role is and go from there. There are guys that should not be shooting threes. There are guys that should be doing certain things. And to me, that's that's all part of this recipe now for what's going to happen down the road is know your, know your role. And if guys aren't going to accept that and grow their role, it's not like they're going to be pigeonholed for four years or five years now. You can grow as a player, but know what you need to bring to the team. Mm-hmm. And... That, again, to me, that's part of why we're seeing 35 threes being taken and other issues happening. The same mistakes being made is that's I'm not saying Bruce Weber doesn't do that, but I can tell you for sure that the two previous coaches, Frank Martin and Bob Huggins, knew and told every guy on the bench and on, that started what your role is, what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And to, and to, to me... What's go that, ahead. Jared? No, I, no, go ahead, Matt. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, I think that's got to happen. Whether whether it's, again, with Nigel Pack, whether it's Sultan Miguel, whether it's Casey Eziegu, whether it's Logan Landers who's coming in next year, you got to know your role. And you have to accept it, and you have to, you have to live it every day, and your teammates have to see it. Mm-hmm. It's not just what comes out of your mouth. You have to show up, but you got to know your role. And it's, it's, it's leadership, I think, and coachability. Like those two things, you, to, to, to your point, like roles, absolutely 100% agree. It's, it's true. There's vocal leaders and there's leaders that lead by example. When I think of my Mizzou teams, and I had the great fortune, I was very blessed to be a part of the most wins in Mizzou's school history for, for four years. And we had Kim English, Marcus Denman, two guys played four years. They were drafted. Drafted in the same draft, second round. Kim was a vocal leader. He was a great vocal leader. He accepted a role his senior year to play out of position for our team to make us better. It's why we won 30 games. He accepted his role. He wasn't a four. He knew he had to be a four for us. And he was coachable the entire year. Like he listened. He executed everything. He knew not only his position, but everybody else's position. And then we had a guy named Marcus Denman who was an assassin. He was lethal. He was a lead by example every day. He was the toughest player I've ever played with 
I played against him in high school and he was the toughest player I ever played against in high school. I mean, he carried himself with so much swagger and it was so, it, it, it wasn't like a vocal, anything like that. He just did everything right on and off the, on and off the court. He put in the time, like at night, if you were going back to the facility, he was in the gym shooting all the time. So when he had success in games, he didn't get too high or too low. He was consistent with all the things he did from a work ethic standpoint. That's why he was our leader. Like you saw Marcus, he didn't have to tell you. He just, you just saw what he did. You know, I think there's guys in, in I think Jacob Pullen probably is in this conversation back when we played against K-State. Those K-State teams we played against my four years were so tough. And Jacob Pullen was relentless. You know, and like the, when I think about like the, that piece missing, it's got to be the leadership piece too. And these are young players, but they have to find that role. And then they also have to identify who's your leader. How does that leader lead? And how do they get the most out of other guys? What's their care factor for their teammates? Like how much do they want to instill in those other guys? Are they happy for other players' success? Or are they only happy for their own success? Like that is always things that you always have to be looking at and identifying, I think, when you're a coach. Yeah, see, right quick, and then I'm done because my battery's going to die. So I apologize. This has been awesome. But what Jared said, what I was trying to and did not do a great job of, but Jared just got this old grumpy guy's brain going. There's, there's, uh, there's a quote that I'm using in a couple of days during a meeting because it's Super Bowl week from Bum Phillips. Jared, do you know who Bum Phillips is or was? I do not. No. Okay. Jay Heidrich, do you know who Bum Phillips was? No, but there's nothing older and grumpier guy than asking younger guys if we know who this person is. All right, all right. <laughs> Bum Phillips said once upon a time, coaching is, a, is not about how much you know. Coaching is about what you can get players to do. I'll back that up just a little bit. I talk to my daughter about leadership all the time. You know, she's 16. She's playing at a high level with her fast pitch softball and, and kind of going through what the ups and downs of, of playing against elite level competition is. And I tell her all the time, I say, look, a leader gets people to do things that need to be done without telling them to do it. Um, you know, and, and, and Marcus Denman, you know, Kim English, those are two great examples to how that happened is people, you know, you see Marcus Denman in the gym at three in the morning. You're like, ah, I better pick my, pick my game up. You know, uh, you know, if you, when, when you see those people that are sacrificing like that and doing those things, it, it, it raises, it raises everyone. And, and that's, that's one thing that, that this basketball team's got to find is they've got to get things done without, you know, being told or forced to do it um, and, and find that accountability. I got a bull, but I want to say this before I go. I have never enjoyed listening to a Missouri Tiger talk more the Norm Stewart and John Cadillac until today. And now Jared Sutton has vaulted up to near the top of the list. He is now in the top three. And I hope I get to talk to and hear from him again, because that's been great stuff. So Jared Sutton, even though you are a Tony, the tiger, as our friend Robert would say, yep. you've, you've at least earned one stripe today in my book, man, that's a lead company. I, I appreciate it. That means a lot, Matt. It's been, it's been good chatting with you as well. We talk about roles. And knowing who you are, and Jay, one of the positives, boy, I've been searching for him, I'm bringing out of the season is Nigel Pack and Davion Bradford seem to have well-formed games in 
knowing what they can and can't do. Now, Lord knows Davian Bradford needs to defend better, rebound better, get stronger, all those things that will come with age. But he was 3 of 3 from the field on Saturday and 7 rebounds. And, and that's not... That's not to say he should have taken more shots. He never had the chance to because his teammates took 35 threes instead of dumping it into the seven-footer who likes to dunk the ball. And Nigel Nigel just had a good self-awareness of what he can and can't do. He doesn't try to get too fancy. But a lot of these players on this roster, and we've talked about it all all season long. Dejuan Gordon, you're not a three-point shooter. Selton Miguel, maybe you will be someday, but you're not a three-point shooter. Antonio Gordon, you dig it. I don't dig you taking it. On and on, Mike McGurl, bless his heart, has had to do things outside of his skill set, not because uh, he wants to, but I feel like he feels forced to. He's got to try to make the big shot because nobody else is, and it led to him being 2-7, um, which on this day was a, was a good performance from three since everyone else on the roster not named McGurl or Pack Oford. But, Jay, they just have to learn, and I do lay a lot of this at Bruce's feet. You can't take that shot. I, I get upset when I see 20 seconds left on the shot clock and Dejuan's chucking up a three. But, but I don't see that from Bruce, and that's where I'm getting really frustrated. Yeah, I mean, to me, I'd rather I'd – rather, I know he's got limited bench numbers. But he's, at, he's back to full strength now. He's got all of his kids back other than Dejuan, but – you know, I'd like to see some accountability again of, you know, if, if that's what you're going to do, then you're going to sit. And um, and I'd rather lose with someone who's going to – I'm going to lose anyway, probably. I'd rather lose with someone who's going to find that culture that we're wanting to instill. And I think that let's just call it like it is. The reason why they're still doing it is because they can't. Um, and, and that's really what it comes down to. And what needs to happen is you talk about Pack and Bradford – there needs to be a sit down and say, these are the two keys to our team. This is what we're going to build around. We need to focus on these. This is how we can have success. If you're tired of losing and getting your tails kicked, this is how we're going to get, get over that. And then people either buy it or they won't. And I thought Jarek's analysis of, of Kim English was great. I venture to say that if Kim, Kim English had continued to play the three and tried to be a small forward, he wouldn't have been drafted because he wouldn't have had the, the, the senior year. That he, had. he had the great senior year because he created matchup problems for people and he did what needed to be done, not what he wanted to do. And that led to great success, not only for the team, but for him personally, because he just created nightmares on the matchup side for people. And I think Antonio Gordon can be that type of player. He's not going to overpower you with his size, but he's also not a perimeter player either, but he can create matchup problems and, you know, you want to, Jared, Jared's the NBA expert. I'll, I'll let it defer to this, but you want, you want to get an NBA scout's attention, average 17 and eight, regardless of where you get it from or what, or, or what, or, or what position you play, they're not going to look at your film unless, it, it, unless your stats are, are first past the eye test. And then once you do that, then you can get into it, but, but you're not going to get to those numbers or get any type of attention doing what you're doing now. I think the versatility and consistency is is everything. Um, I think this is gets gets back to a previous conversation we had about just when freshmen arrive on campus. You know, sometimes it takes time to break them down and get them to really understand, you know, who they are as a player. Um, trying to instill a level of this is a different level, 
and this is what you got to improve upon. And you got to be able to listen to that. And the messaging has got to be right. Um, you know, I think both Gordons uh, going into the season, um, Antonio Andaman, is that both those guys to me, I wanted to see them take a step forward this year. Um, I thought they had some some good moments as freshmen, but I think those guys, when you look at them, you know, those are guys that you can you you think you could build around, right? I mean, with with Dejon Gordon, I mean, he's a good rebounder for a guard. He hasn't shot the ball well. Um, again, trying to find out his role and his skill. You got to be patient. You got to put your arm around a guy at times. You also got to dig into a guy at some point too. And I'm curious how the practices are going. You know, what are these guys doing in practice? Is it just the light shining brightest and they struggle in games? You know, does it translate from the practice court to, to the, to the actual game floor? There's freshmen and young players that struggle with that. They're great in pickup. They're great against a cone in a one-on-o drill. That's great. But, you know, when you get into a five-on-five game, do you know how to play? Like, do you have a feel? Do you have an IQ? Because this isn't the AAU game anymore. And a lot of players, more times than not, not everybody, but more times than not, those young players that leave the AAU circuit, go to a big-time Power 5 college basketball team, are asked to play as freshmen. you got to be able to do some, like one thing really well. But a lot of those times, I mean, there's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of adversity. Some, a lot of these players think – well, I got to just have the ball in my hand all the time. They don't know how to move without the ball. Like basic things like that are struggles. And I think, again, it, it, sometimes it can, it can sway confidence with guys because they think they're really good. And then they realize, wait a second, I'm not playing well. And this is the first time I haven't played well for an extended period of time. And maybe I'm not getting the touches I got in high school. That's a challenge sometimes for a young player. And that's where I think maybe Bruce is going through that right now. And he's going to figure out something in February where he says, look, I can count on Davion Bradford to do his job. I can count on some of these guys down the road if they're accepting my coaching and practice. And if our plan moving forward is still good and we still are identifying talent to, to package with these guys long term. This season's not a wash. This season, you can still learn a lot of things about guys and, and where you go with your program. Jay, Dejuan has said this, that in high school, he was the best player in Chicago his senior year, which tells me it was a down year in Chicago, to be real blunt. Uh, but his game was inside. He was one of the taller guys on his team, so he played around the basket. He rebounded. He scored. I don't care if what he's listed at, a guard, forward, or <clears throat> whatever. That's where his game is. It still is on the inside. And when Dejuan Gordon is focused on rebounding, trying to score 10 feet and in, maybe 15 feet and in, driving, getting to the free throw line, which he doesn't do enough because he's good at it. Uh, that's when he excels. But when he decides, it sure is fun to shoot this three-pointer, that's when he struggles because he, he's one of those guys that loves to make the make that shot, but he doesn't remember all the times he missed that shot. Maybe that's good, but boy, I tell you what, not when you're missing as many as he does. Well, I think it goes down to the old saying that easy can be dangerous, right? And it's just easy for him. That it's easy to to take a three pointer off a pick and roll with 20 seconds left in the shot clock than it is to, you know, give that ball up, cut hard through the middle, come off a screen, come back up, catch it at 15, to do a pump fake, go to the rack, get fouled, and have to make two free throws. Uh, you know that, that that that's hard. That's hard offense, but that's effective offense. And and, and if he in, in attacking the rim and getting to the rim, because I guarantee you he didn't play against a bunch of five ten schmucks in Chicago. Um, I mean, he played against some some competition. 
but he had success by attacking the rim. And, and, and if that was success for him in high school, continue to ha- do what got you, what, what you had success with to, to, to get you to this point as well. Um, you know, don't, don't just, don't just abandon it. Um, and, and that's what, that's what, you know, he's got to, he's got to get back to, to finding that level of success with that. It's hard to, it's hard when you are asked to defend and give effort on the defensive end and those legs are tired and you're going to the offensive end. You're like, wait a second. I've never been tired to go. It's like, yeah, that that's welcome to college basketball. Right. I mean, that, that to me is a big thing for high school players too. And I think Gordon's in the same conversation is look, you got to be asked to do both ends of the floor. Like if you're going to be a really good player and, and a complete player, you got to do it on both ends of the floor. And that takes effort and energy and enthusiasm. And it's going to, it's going to be a wear and tear thing. And, that can that can affect you offensively. You're, you're just your legs aren't ready for that because you're not used to being asked to defend at that type of level. And I that that that's a great point because these these kids, these freshmen, I don't care what AU team they played for, I don't care how many games they played in the summer, they've never done this before. Their bodies have never been through this. They had no idea what they're getting into, and and that makes it difficult. And, and it's just the they're drinking from a fire hose. Uh, you know, I, I tell kids, you know, um, you know, uh, a girl that played for my father-in-law in Minnesota, she plays at South Dakota and is having just a phenomenal senior year, but she's struggling. She's a freshman and, and, and a sophomore as well. And when she was younger and, and was just in a slump and I told her, and I would tell every young player this, instead of trying to figure out, you know, I got to be better. I have to do this, go into practice and say, I'm going to be the best person on the floor at this one thing today. I'm going to be the best defender on the floor, or I'm going to set the best screens on the floor, or I'm going to be the best rebounder on the floor. Focus on one thing, block everything else. And what you'll find is if you focus on being just great at one thing and practice every day, or just one thing, be great at a game, everything else will come, will come because then it's not, I'm just getting killed and everything. It's I was really good on defense today and, and that confidence builds. And next thing you know, you get a couple, uh, you pick off a couple passes, you're getting to the rim, you get a dunk at the other end and, and you score. Um, when, when you have that attitude of, of shrinking it down and saying, I'm going to be good at one thing today. I'm not, not just good. I'm going to be the best on the floor today at one thing. Then that success will bleed over to everything else. And I think that just simplifying it would be really good for, for, for some of these kids right now. A sentence that during my brief and uneventful basketball career, I never spoke. Boy, I was really good at defense today. Never, never once at that top of my list. Jerry, before I let you go, I got a, a question I have to ask you. I'm a huge Kim English fan, and, and mm-hmm. not just as a basketball player, but as a person. Um, he is an assistant for Rick Barnes at Tennessee. And if it's this year or next year or Whatever year it is down the road, if Kansas State's looking for a new basketball coach, I plan on him being on our, quote, hot board because I think he has the makings of being an outstanding college basketball coach. You know him. You played with him. You still watch what he's doing. What are your thoughts? Well, since I've known Kim, I mean, even dating back to when we were freshmen uh, and got on campus at Columbia, um, he is a basketball savant. Um, he has a incredible basketball pedigree, high IQ, one of the smartest players I've played with. Um, again, a guy that demanded of himself so much, played hurt, um, did so many things in our four years. 
I joke with him. I mean, he changed a, an actual rule in college when we were in the NCAA tournament, the free throw rule um, that changed when we beat Marquette and he had to come off the bench and make two free throws uh, in a big uh, NCAA tournament game to get us to at that point, it would have been the sweet 16. Um, you know, I see what he's doing now too as a coach and I'm not surprised at how quick, you know, he's bounced around from first Tulsa with, with Frank Haith and now ending up at, at Tennessee with coach Barnes. I've always been a coach Rick Barnes fan. So I see even playing against him when we were in, me and Kim were in college and now to see him as an assistant for coach Barnes and, and, you know, first and foremost, I mean, as a recruiter, he's an NBA draft pick. Uh, he can get along with anybody. He's, he's very easy to talk to. Um, you know, he's a guy that does it the right way. And, you know, I think, you know, working for coach Barnes, I think getting all that experience too, and just really going from a Frank Haith coach team and being an assistant for him and knowing Frank started with Rick Barnes and now Kim's with coach Barnes, he's been able to, to learn a lot. And I think he understands what it means to be a head coach. I mean, there it's, it's different being a head, head coach than being an assistant. I know he's itching to be a head coach. I know that's going to be in his future. Uh, but I think what he's done as a recruiter, um, his ability to teach the game, his, ab his ability to, to lean on his experiences too as a player, I think goes a long way uh, in, in players listening to you and receiving that message. Um, and he's a guy that just relentlessly works hard. He's going to get a, give everything he has to his job. Um, a guy that just is, is a basketball through and through type of guy who I think is going to be a great head coach one day, whenever that is. Um, you know, his name has been floated around at mid-major schools. He was, uh, you know, a name that was being talked about in, at UMKC uh, before they hired Billy Donlin. So his, his name's going to be around every year, uh, but I'm proud of him uh, and just what he's been able to do. He quit playing basketball early to get into coaching. Uh, he could have probably played another five to eight years probably if he wanted to and played overseas, made a lot of money, and, and he wanted to get into coaching. And I always knew this was going to be his path. I always knew he was going to find a way to get into coaching. Uh, he was just too good of a leader, too smart of a basketball mind. Um, and it, this it, him around the game is, is good for the game because he's, he's that smart and, and that bright. I think he's going to have a, a real prosperous career as a head coach one day. Very good. Jared, we appreciate you joining us today on the podcast. Good stuff. Plus, you have a nice Thank background. You. Thanks for having me, guys. Your, your Zoom background is much better than Jay Heidrich's. So let's make a list I here. Add, I try to add some color to, try to add some color to the Zoom. Uh, you better background, better jump shot, better probably free throw shooter, more minutes. And never mind, Jay. He did. He did not hand out water better than I did, though. I'll tell you that much for yeah, sure. Yeah, we're good at that's that. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's it for this edition of the Powercat Insiders Podcast. Join us next week when we talk about K-State basketball, maybe some K-State football. Maybe we'll end up talking about the weather. I don't know. Whatever the topic will be, we'll talk to you next week. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.